Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And I kept on saying to her, you know what, I don't think I'd be able to ever learn to cycle. I so badly want to cycle and I don't think I'd ever be able to do it. And she's like, no, you need to say to yourself, you can do it. You can do it. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Ned Bolting. I'm Laura Laker. And I'm Adam Tranter. And this time, we're going to talk about the power of behaviour change. Why, specifically, perhaps, soft measures deserve hard cash. That's a great sounding headline, by the way. I like that. Um, I don't really know what soft measures are, and I only dimly understand what hard (laughs) cash is. But we'll come on to that. Uh, While much of the focus in active travel is around the need for dedicated infrastructure, quietly around the country, organisations are implementing softer measures which can have a significant impact. A few few weeks ago, Laura visited the Crisp Street Community Cycle Scheme, a cycle hub in an empty high street shop in Tower Hamlets in East London. So Crisp Street Community Cycles is a collaboration between Sustrans, Hubbub and Poplar Harker. They say, I hope I've pronounced that right, safety, confidence and cycle storage are some of the main barriers to cycling. And these are issues the Cycle Hub addresses. The pilot was launched in August 2021, so not so long ago in Poplar. And they say they have been, quote, overwhelmed by the success, uptake and positive response in just six weeks with a total of 53 bikes loaned, 195 people taking part in activities and 1,000 people having engaged with them. So later on, we're going to be joined by Ray Hopkinson, creative partner at Hubbub and one of the partners behind the aforementioned Crisp Street initiative. Before we get on to all of that and before we hear Laura's amazing reports, Adam... We haven't spoken for a while, have we? What have you been doing? Doing lots of bits and bobs. I've been away. That was nice. I had a little holiday and then nothing majorly exciting. But your um, your life looks uh, consistently more exciting than mine, Ed. You've been doing doing bike racing stuff and, and got your new book coming out and all of that stuff. Oh, well, I don't know about that. It's a busy time of year and I've been filming a documentary in Ireland about the history of Irish cycling, which is um, actually engrossing and quite extraordinary. The film's going to go out next summer. 
around about the time of the Tour de France. But I've unearthed a kind of whole seam of things that I didn't know anything about. And a lot of it kind of boils down to, sadly, the uh, border that is still almost more than it has been in, in a generation, creating all sorts of problems on the islands. And by the way, Ireland, which is a country I know pretty well, actually, because my grandmother was Irish, is every bit as beautiful as Everyone says it is. And I've consistently underestimated Ireland. But spending all this time here over the last couple of weeks has been a revelation, I have to say. Laura, what have you been up to? Apart from apart from doing one of your amazing reports. <laughs> what have I been doing? I've been bikepacking. Oh, yeah, you have been doing a bit of that, haven't you? Yeah, I did a little bit of bikepacking. It's very exciting. I usually go everywhere with a massive bag and far too much stuff. And so it's quite fun just to like chuck a few things into a couple of bags Brilliant. and go off cycling around the Kent coast with some friends. So yeah, that was pretty fun. Which bits did you go to? Whereabouts though? Um, we did part of the Viking Trail, which is along the coast near yeah. sort of Margate and Ramsgate and then back along through the countryside and starting and finishing Canterbury, I think. Yeah, really nice. Really, really nice. Brilliant. It's all right, Kent. It's a nice county. Yeah, the Lakers are from Kent, so um, it's back to the home country. The Lakers are from Kent. Who knew that? <laughs> uh, good stuff. So returning to the matter in hand, which is Crisp Street, I don't know too much about Crisp Street, so I'm looking forward to your report. All I can tell you about Crisp Street is when I was working on the Paralympic Games for Channel 4 in 2012, I used to have to commute by bike from, this is very London-centric, I do apologise, but from Lewisham, where I live, all the way up to Stratford, where the Paralympics were taking place. And at first, I couldn't figure out a kind of quiet route at all. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, as the days went by, I figured out I had to sort of stay off the main roads. And one of the little cut-throughs took me through Crisp Street. Ah, oh, no way. Which I've only just found out is pronounced Crisp Street and not Trisp Street, <laughs> uh, which is how it's spelt. But it's famous for, Laura, it's famous for the, the dog mural, isn't it? Is it? Do you not know the dog? No. <laughs> I'm sure when we speak to Ray, um, that Ray will confirm this. There is an amazing <laughs> mural by some famous artist of a huge, a huge mural, the height of a sort of four-story building of a dog, which is beautiful. I can't believe you don't know that. Or maybe I dreamt it. <laughs> I did see a mural, but I can't remember if it had a dog on it. <laughs> We'll, we'll confirm this with our guest a bit later. First of all, though, <laughs> let's hear one of uh, Laura's amazing roving reports from Crisp Street. Uh, you are Ruth. Ruth Chiat. I'm Head of Behaviour Change at Sustrans London. Okay. And um, so we're here in the Crisp Street Community Cycle Hub. This is a project that we've set up recently in Tower Hamlets with some partners here. And it's a really fantastic example of getting our work out into the community and really being able to create more of an access to active travel. So we're basically standing in a shop that was formerly vacant and it's on a shopping parade and so you've turned it into a cycle hub and it's all about behaviour change. So this is a space now that is a place where people can come to access active travel activities. Mm -hmm. So we're doing training, we're doing learn to ride, to lead rides, but also it's a place where people can access bikes. Yeah. So we find that a lot of people don't have access to a bike. They can't even imagine anything to do with active travel when they've yeah. never had a bike or you know they've never learnt to ride yeah. they don't see it as being something that they would even consider so this gives people an opportunity to try it for the first time and the fact that it's right here in the middle of the shopping street means it's really accessible um, so people can can just walk past and see it and we'll chat to them they'll come and chat find out about what they can access here which is the bikes the training 
and they can kind of get the whole package as it were so we're kind of making it really easy for people to go from having no idea about active travel or a small idea about it to being able to actually do it and have the skills and the confidence and the equipment that they need. We're also doing doctor bikes so a lot of people will have bikes they haven't used for a while just haven't been maintained very well over a long period of time even a puncture sometimes you know if you don't know how to do it it's like where do you start i read somewhere it was like one of the most common reasons that people don't cycle is they get a puncture and then they don't know what to do with it yeah no exactly what we try to do with the doctor bike is to help people to understand how to do it along the way so we'll kind of do it with people while they're here and show them how to do it even let them have a go at it while they're here as well with the mechanic we really want people to kind of have the skills to be able to continue doing things themselves and to feel empowered to see active travel as being something that they can identify with and something that they find easy um, have kind of their own sense of ownership over it I guess it's about sort of having a friendly face being somewhere that people are might just walk past and think what's happening in there and then and then you can sort of talk to them one-on-one and give them a bit of support yeah I mean the the location of this hub is really ideal because it's in such a busy place and people regularly walk past here so even if they don't stop on the first time they see it Um, they see people that they know stopping and talking or they see people that they know or hear from people that they know that they've borrowed a bike or they've joined some of the activities and yeah, like you said, people can just stop and have a chat with no commitment at all. You don't have to sign up for anything necessarily. You can just start to find out a bit more. And our colleagues who run this, they're all really knowledgeable about cycling, and but they're also very approachable and they understand how to engage with people. So they're doing a really good job of just chatting to people and making that feel really kind of welcoming and friendly being informative but not like pushing too hard people want to know about it but they don't necessarily want to be pushed into anything i think some people feel really nervous about it it takes a bit of time for people to feel like it's something that they want to try so this is presumably in kind of support of wider physical measures in the borough because tower hamlets like many boroughs in london is doing some kind of changes to its streets, some new cycle lanes, some livable neighbourhoods they call it I think. This project isn't like specifically tied to any of those projects but it is part of the kind of that overall picture. Those kind of changes to the environment can be really beneficial but a lot of the time you know people don't necessarily feel like they can access those benefits if they don't see active travel as being something for them. So this kind of project I think is extremely valuable in kind of making those benefits accessible to a bigger range of people. And I think sometimes people talk about these kind of measures being like soft measures and almost see them as, oh, well, it's not the infrastructure, this is just kind of tinkering around the edges, but actually this is really vital, especially for reaching communities or individuals who wouldn't normally see themselves as cyclists, in inverted commas. Absolutely. I mean, this is all about the people, and I really believe really strongly that all these kind of changes have to be about the people. It has to come from the people as well. So this, to me, is really essential. It's as essential as the infrastructure change. To me, it has to go hand in hand. And I think the infrastructure changes can be really positive. But if the people that live in that area don't feel like it's for them, it's going to be really hard to make those changes. Um, So, again, I think this kind of work is really essential. And just about making it for everyone as well. If you just build it and say build it and they'll come, 
that's not necessarily an equitable way of making change because some people will find that change really easy to access. They've already got the equipment, they've already got the skills and the confidence and it's just a small step for them to go, oh yeah, great, now this feels safer, I'm going to go for it, which is great. I mean, it's brilliant that people are making those changes. But in terms of making change that is for everyone, for the whole range of people that live in our community, this kind of work is really important. Because it's kind of almost easy and I think a lot of cycle routes in the past have been built from wealthy areas to like centres of employment and have tended to attract basically white middle-aged men, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the kind of, you know, healthy neighbourhoods and liberal neighbourhoods approach is, I think a really good way to address that and, and it is a different approach and yeah. it is it has the potential to be a lot more equitable but that's where I think this kind of work really needs to go alongside it to make sure that it actually does reach those people. Yeah. You know, the uptake from the local community here has been really amazing, it's been so popular and it really is testament to the value of this work. Yeah. So what's happened so far? Um, it's been open for about a month, uh, it's softly open, so this is the opening event but we've been running things here for about a month now. Okay. And so um, what kind of response have you had? The response has been really incredible, we've had so many people stopping in the street and we've had lots of people signing up to our skills training activities and people borrowing bikes and the doctor bikes have been really popular Um, and it's just like developed a real buzz around it so you know lots of you know we've done a lot of work in the schools in this area as well so we already have a lot of relationships within the community so that's kind of really helped to boost it as well but people gravitate towards it it's become a real center in the community which is really really positive I'm Naz. Um, I live in Tower Hamlet. Okay. Um, I have been for the longest time trying to learn to cycle. Yeah. How long are we talking? Oh gosh. Oh, well over 20 years. Oh, no Honestly, it, I'm I'm just so bad at it. So with bike works, actually, I took some lessons yeah. and I didn't really get anywhere. Okay. So one day I, I just decided to come along with yeah. one of my friends. They community cycling this project actually loaned me a bike and then the instructor was with us her name is Molly and we went to the tennis court and she basically gave me some tips and tricks on how to stay on the bike I practiced on that day I couldn't sustain my balance still even after one whole hour and I kept on saying to her you know what I don't think I'd be able to ever learn to cycle I so badly want to cycle and I don't think I'd ever be able to do it and she's like no you need to say to yourself you can do it you can do it and so I kept on saying to myself you know what Molly I can do it I can do it and then so I couldn't cycle on that day I came back another day they loaned me a bike one more time and then um, my niece and I we decided to go to Victoria Park and then from basically 11 o'clock till 3 o'clock, I was just practicing non-stop. I, I was absolutely determined to stay on the bike. I practiced and practiced and, and just literally around 2 o'clock or about 2.30, I was cycling and then I managed to just stay on the bike. And I was just so excited, the feeling of freedom, just being able to cycle and stay on the bike was absolutely amazing. I'm just so thankful to, you know, Community Cycling, this team, for giving me the opportunity to have a bike because I wouldn't have been able to buy one, especially when I was 
only just learning. So I was just so grateful and oh my god, the feeling is amazing. I just, do you know what? I cannot believe it. I can actually cycle now. It's just an amazing feeling. That's so, so good. Grateful. So um, are you are you going to get your own bike? Are you going to borrow one of theirs? What's your plan now? So the plan is to continue to borrow bike from the project until I become fully confident. Then the plan is to buy my own bike. I was actually speaking to Bo, one of the staff members, that I want to actually go to Epping Forest. That's one of my aims actually, uh, go to Epping Forest and cycle there. I just want to generally just cycle more because it's good for staying physically active and being able to give you more freedom to go more places. It's amazing. That's the plan. Oh great, that's wonderful. That's really nice to hear. So are you planning on sort of getting around everyday trips or is it going to be like more kind of fun trips or a bit of both maybe? So it's more sort of like uh, just for myself, I want to be able to go places because I'm trying to develop my self-confidence and self-esteem and also I want to inspire others as well in the community because I'd like to see more women from cultural background doing the same thing as me. That's what I want to do and I'd like more sort of children to do the same. I don't know which background you're from. Do you mind me asking? Um, I'm Asian. Yeah. So, um, and I guess like South there's Asian, not actually. South Asian. Yes. Yeah. So I guess there's not always like a culture of cycling and in just generally, but I don't know women cycling, anyone cycling. Can you talk about I that? I was just saying that to Bo um, earlier. I was talking to him and I was I was just saying that I I was just so excited this year to see so many women from cultural background actually going off because they were able to. Uh, loaned them the bikes and they were like going off in a, in a group of women and cycling away. I'm Laura and you're Naima. So, so you, you do Ride Leading Cycle Sisters, you come here today because you also Just an amazing initiative, you know, yeah. to have something like this on our doorstep for Tower Hamlets as well. It's just amazing the fact that it's free. There's a community based, everyone's so friendly. There's somewhere where you can go and get your bike fixed. You can learn to cycle. Mm-hmm. You're a part of, a, you know, you feel like you're part of a community. Yeah. You know, they're welcoming people from all different walks of life, you know, regardless of age, gender, ethnicity. You feel welcomed here. Yeah. There's a lot of people want to cycle. Yeah. They don't know how to cycle. Yeah. They don't know where to go to. They don't know which bike to purchase. Yeah. You know, and there's so much information. You go to Halfords or somewhere, long queues, really expensive. You look at some of the pricing and you think, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of people who feel like can't. But here, it just yeah. ticks so many boxes mm-hmm. for cycling. I feel like they've listened to what people' apprehensions are, or you know, the anxieties they might have, or. Yeah and they've taken on board to tackle it so yeah. this is also like an institute where you can say it's it's a project which has heard the, the kind of obstacles that the community may have mm. and it's tackled each one of them mm. and served them basically it's here mm. to serve the community ultimately yeah. and i think that's just this needs to be celebrated they shouldn't be a pop-up shop they should be here to be like here to say you know improve your mental health your actual well-being and health a lot of people have been complaining saying that they've put on weight in uh, lockdown you know they went the gyms were closed cycling became you know the next best thing even now that the gyms are open 
it's again membership fees are quite expensive you know yeah. getting the classes getting the equipment that you want just trying to fit it cycling you can go anytime go six o'clock in the morning before work you can go six o'clock after work you know like who said you just get your bike you go and you've got a community here as well you can pick up a bike take it out bring it back at the end of the day job done you know you've had a great day and the the, the, the routes that you discover the world that opens up in cycling is yeah. just phenomenal because you think to yourself wait I know this area but I didn't know this road connects to that road or this canal goes all the way up to Wolfhamstow or North London or whatever or next thing you know you're in Regent's Park you just think wow like you know there's only so much you can do because I run walking cl- classes as well walking oh, wow. groups yeah, so we run them twice a week and there's <laughs> really? only so much that you can do yeah. but in terms yeah. of on the bike is how much your legs can take you you know and 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 you know you can have your brakes just come back fantastic day out and the feeling i think that exhilarating feeling of freedom the the air in your hair i would say but obviously i've got a hijab but you know it's like (laughs) the air in my face you know it's just a a beautiful feeling really so what's what's your kind of personal journey have you always cycled no i cycled as a kid Mum had got me a BMX as, as a young kid, but I never came into. I think I did cycling after I got married once or twice. My husband took me to Epping Forest and then nothing, and then um, ca- kind of came out of gym life, you know, because kids and stuff, and it was just really difficult to just yeah. kind of maintain it. Then what happened was um, I became a little bit unwell. I had an infection that spread around my body, and I became bedbound. Mm-hmm. I was bedbound for about three months, and my muscles were all really weak. And then my husband just got me a bike. He got into cycling because he's like massive gym enthusiast and gyms were closed. And so he got really into cycling during lockdown, yeah. the first lockdown. And then, yeah, he got me a bike and that was it really. Started cycling. I wasn't really sure what I should be doing with my bike. I'm, I'm a, I know how to cycle, where I should go. And then I saw Cycle Sisters were recruiting a leader. They said, we just need you to be able to cycle you know, we'll, we'll give you the rest. And I think that really helped. They did a bit of work with Bike Works. Um, they did the Building Confidence cl- courses. And then I tapped in with um, Ta Hamlet Cycling Group as well, just going on local kind of rides. And when I was promoting it, like, well, I was kind of like just putting it up on my WhatsApp stories and a lot of people were like, what is this? I want to cycle like you. I go and pick up my kids on the bike. And at school, parents will see me. I'm governor at two schools. And then obviously I'm known amongst the parents being a governor. And then they were, they just wanted to know more about cycling. And I think, like I was saying, I say it's like a bug. Once you get it, that's it. You just want to, you pass it on to others. And, it, and it's literally been like that got honey business I started to do deliveries on my bike a bit more easier just fill up my rucksack and and I think for my customers when they see me like pull up I mean I feel like I'm a bit of a deliveroo like or an Uber Eats you know <laughs> got your honey kind of thing and then I rock up and and then some of the times they're like oh okay I wasn't expecting a, a Muslim woman on a bike you know to be coming so I think visually it's changing narrative yeah. breaking the taboos breaking the stigmas that people have attached to and ultimately yeah just like change change really positive change hopefully it's been generally quite plain sailing Mm. I think there has been some objections from Muslim men um, who I've um, who've approached me saying that it's um, 
not right uh, Islamically and it's not befitting but I spoke to the Imam of East London Mosque and he like he endorsed it he said you know uh, you know this is something good your health is important you need to take care of it there's nothing impermissible about it as long as you're modestly dressed you know um, I think when you think of cycling you think of cycling shorts and you know bums all out <laughs> all the lycra like out and stuff very you know so he was like no you know you're, you're maintaining you know good clothing you know you're you're doing things which is building communities you're promoting health and mental well-being how can this be anything but supporting what we're supporting you know people have worked hard to make this available for the community and there's no reason for no one not to tap into it really a lot of people feel i'm too overweight i can't how am i going to get on a bike but i've taught women are over 100 kilos (laughs) to get on and they're cycling so i tell them can you stand on one foot yeah, that's balancing. So that's cycling is balancing. <laughs> you can balance on one foot like that. Yeah, I can. So then you can balance on two wheels. You see them a bit shaky and then, then you see them cycling and then both the feet up and it's like, yeah, you've got this, you know? Like, look at you, you're amazing. You know, you're phenomenal. Like, this is great. And they're like, I didn't think I could do it. So what have you done there? It's not just about cycling. Yeah. What you've done there is you've shown that you had put, you limited yourself. And now you've broken those kind of fences that you put up and you're free to go. So how many more things are you limiting yourself in in life? That's how it builds your confidence. That's what I've seen firsthand. Laura, that was um, that was amazing. Tell us about how it all played out, especially when you listen back to what you'd recorded. Yeah, I love this one. I just I kind of went along just out of personal interest, really, and took the um, recording device with me and then ended up um speaking to to well the interviewees that we uh, heard from so Ruth Chayat from Sostrans and then Naz and then Naima Naz and Naima were the uh were the women who'd taken up cycling actually Naz had taken up cycling thanks to the Christopher Street Cycle Hub and had been trying to learn for, to cycle for 20 years uh, didn't think she could do it build build up her confidence now wants to get more people cycling more women from ethnic minority backgrounds to cycle Naima who is basically a superwoman who's got six children she was a gym instructor took up cycling during lockdown um does all this does loads and loads of stuff and then yeah just talk both of them talking about the power of this this intervention this kind of behavior change stuff what is essentially behavior change stuff but they managed to identify um these three organizations Sustrans, uh Poplar Harker and Hub hubbub identify the kind of barriers to more people taking up cycling and and then provided the bikes provided the maintenance and repairs and then the training and yeah you can see for yourself well here for yourself just how powerful that was and I just found it really inspiring and I love listening back I loved editing it and listening back to it because I just think it really shows how important this stuff is and how it's quite often overlooked but actually, if you want to get more people cycling from different backgrounds and you really need this, these kind of interventions. So, yeah, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it sounds absolutely. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, let's introduce our guest who's heavily involved in this scheme. Um, Ray Hopkinson. Hello, Ray. Hi, Ned. Lovely to meet you. Hi, Ray. Hello. Nice to, me- nice to Hi, meet Laura. you, too. Um, and um, you are a creative partner at Hubbub. So I, su- I suppose the first question is, um, Ray, before we get on to talk about the Crisp Street scheme, is what is Hubbub? Hubbub is a environmental charity. Uh, we started about six years ago, um, but we're not the kind of usual charity that that comes to mind. We act kind of almost as a um, consultancy or, or comms agency um, for lots of um, 
businesses um, and we work across four different hubs we call them so those are food fashion homes and neighborhoods um, and a lot of our active travel um, work and work around air pollution sits within this sort of neighborhood hub um, and this project uh, started out as um, kind of more of an air pollution focused project as we know um, air pollution is, is really high in Tower Hamlets um, but it kind of evolved into more of an active travel project um, off the back of lockdown and um, there being less kind of demand for um, public transport and people wanting to walk and cycle more and um, through lots of conversations that we had with um, community groups and residents and um, council and Tower Hamlets where we found that there was this huge um, kind of untapped demand, particularly amongst um, Muslim women in Tower Hamlets to cycle. Um, and then that kind of developed into a partnership with um, the wonderful Sustrans and housing association Poplar Haka to develop this cycle hub. It sounds brilliant. And uh, I must confess that I've been one of those people that have thought that cycling intervention should be, you know, solely linked to infrastructure and that anything else was just sort of uh, wasting time, uh, if you like, and and it it came not it came to me not from something like this, but whenever I was reading like council documents, they'd always have like a travel plan in, and they'd say we will print some leaflets to hand out to to people. And I just think, oh, why are you wasting your time? No one's going to change their behaviour because of printing leaflets. But I think I'd probably unfairly, you know, put all these soft measures in a kind of bucket and, and considered them all equal. And that that listening to Laura's um, piece is totally, uh, totally unfair. Um, I, I just wanted to know how, how this, you know, you obviously talked about the lockdown and but you, you're not a conventional kind of active travel sort of charity. So how, you know, what was the urgency? What was the thing that made you realise, oh, this is an important societal thing that we need to get uh, involved in and is it the first time you've been involved in in uh, in cycling and, and active travel yeah um great points and and great questions so for us it was the first kind of active travel um campaign that we've done um and hence the the need for the partnership with with us trans who have been excellent to work with and building on their kind of experience of of opening uh, cycle hubs and they, they have a number of others across the country which we can talk about later on and in terms of the the demand and the need for it um, as I sort of mentioned I think that was heightened through lots of things that we saw during lockdown so people really appreciating quieter streets and less air pollution I think we, we felt that there was an amazing opportunity and and window to engage people in cycling during that time because there were obviously lots of fears around taking public transport and people wanting to walk and cycle more than usual so we have jumped off the back of that, I suppose, and felt like it was an excellent time to encourage people by referencing a few of those barriers that might have been reduced through quieter streets. And I think that's just escalated across the country, as, as you've probably seen through uh, stats of traffic data. There's just been a huge uptake in cycling across a number of different groups, and particularly amongst ethnic minorities. I saw something um, in the newspaper the other day that showed that in the past ethnic minorities had always been kind of underrepresented in cycling but in the past year or so and particularly in London we're seeing a much greater uptake amongst those ethnic minorities which is fantastic progress in terms of making sure cycling is accessible to all groups. 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably worth just stressing, isn't it, for, for, for people who are maybe listening to this podcast across the world, we like to think we have a global audience, um, and maybe even kind of outside of London, that, you know, Tower Hamlets, even within London's incredibly complex tapestry, has a very particular identity, doesn't it, and a very specific population base. I was just looking at the... Um, the, the 2011, so it's 10 years out of date, but the 2011 census information, which is the first one I could call up, which says that 32% of the population is ethnically Bangladeshi, or identifies as ethnically Bangladeshi. It's big, so big Bangladeshi community. Now, I was really struck by what you said very early on, that um, you had a particular demand from Muslim women, because I'm, I'm not a Muslim woman. I'm a kind of stale, crusty, white, atheist man. And so from my perspective that surprised me because I kind of thought that must be a hard population group to reach uh, potentially has it historically been a hard population group to reach and if that's changed somehow recently what do you think might be the reasons why it's changed in terms of other projects and, and outreach that we've done I, I can't really comment because this is the first time that, that we're specifically working with that demographic but I think this kind of started from the hubbub point of view as a project that we ran with the amazing charity called Cycle Sisters, who are predominantly based in, also in East London. And their main aim is to kind of break down the barriers to Muslim women cycling. So this came about off the back of that project and doing a bit of research with residents in Bow, so a slightly different part of Tower Hamlets, where we found some of those barriers that were mentioned previously around confidence, safety, um, kind of a few sort of cultural concerns about clothing and through the work that we've done with Cycle Sisters that's how we came about realizing that there was this large demand amongst that group and I think the reason that it's spiraled and that so many more Muslim women are interested is because there's more visibility of, of Muslim women cycling across the borough and I think by creating that kind of social norm and almost allowing Muslim women to be visually represented cycling on roads and as a form of activity as well as a form of sport I think that has enabled and encouraged lots of other women to take up cycling I'm not sure if you've been to Victoria Park recently but I live in Hackney and often go there and just from walking around I've seen a, a real kind of increase in the types of people that are cycling across the, the past couple of years and through speaking to lots of the women that we're working with that has been a kind of key motivator been seeing other women doing it and, and realizing that they can too and that there's nothing stopping them. Yeah and I think um, people like Naima are such um, positive role models encouraging other women um other muslim women to cycle and um in the recording she talks about how she's had so much positivity around people seeing her cycling and just saying oh wow i didn't think i'd see a muslim woman on a bike or i'm just really surprised and very little kind of negativity and um yeah it just seems to be a really positive thing so the the hub itself i know that there's a couple of others that are being worked on I'm not sure if it's with Hubba but I know that Sustrans I spoke to Ruth again before our chat today she said that Sustrans does a lot of work on behavior change it sees as part of the package of making change and and this is one of several hubs there's a couple on estates in Ealing where they're doing similar things but the one thing about this particular hub Crisp Street hub is that it's a temporary thing it got some funding uh, for a few months and now you're fundraising right to to try and make it a more permanent thing can you talk about why it was temporary and what you're kind of hoping to achieve and and yeah and going forward so so far as you mentioned we we've kind of been funding this ourselves through through contributions from from each of the 
partners and also through a really generous donation from the Great Portland Estate, who are working with Sostrans already uh, to deliver some active travel work in the area. And this was kind of development of that. And through that, we've been able to stay open slightly longer than expected into the autumn months, which is fantastic. And it was always positioned as a pilot because it wasn't something that we'd obviously trialled before as a group of organisations. Sustrans had done it before, but obviously not in partnership with us and Poplar Harker. And as with all things, you just never know how it's going to go. We've done lots of sort of resident engagement and heard from people that they were really keen to, to be involved in something like this and would attend activities, but you just never know what's going to happen in, in reality. So it was always positioned as a pilot and we've just been absolutely inundated with visitors and that's kind of driven us to, to look for further funding and stay open throughout the winter months. As I'm sure you all know, it's particularly hard to engage people in cycling throughout yeah. the winter, especially if they haven't already cycled. So we were always a bit cautious and, and had in mind that we might need to potentially close the hub or that might be a natural sort of end to the project. But actually, we've built such fantastic relationships with residents who have come on um, such a long journey with us that there's lots of people that want to kind of keep practicing their cycling throughout the winter month. That's why we're currently fundraising It's to deliver a program of, of winter cycle uh, skills session starting in January, um, which will be for, for all abilities and particularly um, women as well. We're also going to be hopefully launching a, a build a bike workshop, which will be really exciting. And also um, hopefully delivering our first bike swap. So we, we found out that lots of people have bikes in their homes that um, might need a bit of, little bit of love or they might be outgrown if it's if it's a children's bike. Um, so we're aiming to host a bike swap similar to like a clothes swap, I guess, where people can bring unwanted bikes still in great condition. And then they'll be able to kind of upgrade that in terms of size or, or model and hopefully leave with a, a bike that might be better suited to them. Or we can look at fixing those bikes as part of it as well. So that's really exciting. I was going to say, is that part of the hub's offering that you do kind of basic uh, maintenance and mechanical kind of bits and all the stuff that defeats me, frankly? Um, but but it's, but it's really essential, isn't it? There's always this perception. A couple of things annoy me about, you know, the perception of cycling. One is that uh, once you've got a bike, it's kind of free for the rest of its existence. It's just not true. You know, tyres cost 30 quid, don't they? And inner tubes cost a fiver and that's all going up with the supply chains. And, you know, every now and again, you need a new chain and all that sort of thing. So they're not, it's not free and they do, and they are fiddly kind of slightly temperamental machines and just keeping them on the road actually is quite a challenge. Um, so is that part of the, the hub's offering? Yes, it is. Um, so through Tower Hamlet's Council, we're able to access or d deliver some free doctor bike sessions, they're called. And so far through those, I think we've repaired around 140 bikes. And it's something we're looking to continue into next year. We're, we're always totally inundated with with people bringing, bringing their bikes in. So we're aiming to deliver uh, more of those sessions moving forwards and also keen to help do some cycle kind of skills workshops and mechanic workshop with residents too so that they can do those simple fixes, fixes themselves I have to say I, I started cycling a couple of years ago and I'm still completely rubbish with with doing any of those those things myself so <laughs> find it very very hard <laughs> this is a sort of sub point but it frustrates me too Ned like what you were saying about people saying cycling is you know totally free and, and it's fit and forget and it, it's not but also there is this still ingrained culture certainly even amongst cycling advocates still that you should be able to sort of do everything yourself and and you know I, I said to somebody the other day that I'd paid someone to fix a puncture 
for me and they were like do it yourself you moron like what are you doing and and, and I mean I, I can do it but like also I just I'm a normal person so I'm inherently lazy and we shouldn't be there shouldn't be this kind of rules and yeah. regulations that yeah. there sometimes are even now as as cycling as as, as diversified I was thinking on um, the subject of diversity. I was I was looking at your um, your your stats and the project audience is eighty percent female, which is just absolutely um, amazing. And 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 obviously also we were talking about the demographics of Tower Hamlets, but the overwhelming majority of people are from uh, ethnic minorities. Ones that I think if you asked the the media or a, a person in the street in anywhere in the country saying what does a cyclist look like you'd be saying well it's probably a white man and and they're probably wearing some sort of you know outfit that looks like they're dressed for urban warfare and and those kind of things and and it's just so brilliant to see that being questioned I guess there's a question for you Ray in terms of is it hard to get funding for areas where there isn't necessarily a benchmark already because it's a lot of people look when they're providing funding as like, well, these guys are cycling already. We'll, we'll just get it up a bit and get more people like them. But actually, when you're looking at a demographic that historically doesn't cycle very much at all, is it harder to get funding for those kind of hard to reach areas? And and, and the question also, just to follow up to Laura, was, was I saw some TFL data recently that seemed to infer that cycling was becoming more diverse in London, which I guess we should look into and and celebrate if it's uh, if it's true. It's a great question. And I think we're in the process of working on some of those funding applications. So I'm not sure I I have an answer just yet. But um, through a lot of the funds that I've been looking into and through speaking to businesses, so just as a side point, Hubbub is about 70, 80% funded directly through businesses. Increasingly, we're looking at, at getting some more grant funding, but we often work with companies, funded by companies. But I think looking at a lot of the grants available, I think there are there are often um, metrics and, and KPIs around this. And if there aren't, there, there definitely should be. And I think that things are certainly changing for the better in terms of making sure that, that there's those KPIs around reaching those, those harder to reach groups. So um, I'll keep you updated as, as and when, and, and hopefully we'll get some more funding to continue this. Lots of these metrics are, are already in there in terms of um, the, the big sort of uh, charity funds that you that you regularly see out there. Mm. Yeah, I did see um, regarding the uh, stats around who's cycling. Um, so Transport for London said um, recently that um, the participation of cycling is much more representative of Londoners, Londoners in 2021 uh, than in previous years. Um, apparently Londoners from black, Asian and minority ethnic communities weren't significantly less likely to have cycled over the last 12 months than white Londoners. Um, so, yeah, 20% as a whole, all Londoners had cycled over the last 12 months compared to 24% of black people, 25% of Asian people and 31% from mixed backgrounds. So, yeah, that was um, a research uh 3,500 Londoners so yeah it's it's been really exciting actually the last couple of years for me living in East London not a million miles from Tower Hamlets um, just seeing so many more different kinds of people on bikes in London and yeah it's just really lovely to see I see I really see all sorts of people cycling now it's definitely not all white people white guys so do you you think um Deliveroo and all the other similar companies have played their part in that for better or worse I mean you know I know that 
conditions of employment are pretty miserable in some of these companies and it's not uh, it's not an ideal model by any stretch of the imagination on the one hand um on the other hand it's kind of cool that um stuff that used to be chucked in the back of a taxi and driven by car is now arriving routinely by people riding bikes um and the workforce is incredibly diverse isn't it i mean you know it, it really is um, and do you think that the kind of visibility of delivery riders in their thousands, I think something like 10,000 delivery have across the country, um, has played a part in that? I don't know. I'm asking everyone, really, mm. Ray, Adam, Laura, what do you yeah. think? I, yeah, I think probably. I ha- have to confess it's not something I'd, I've really thought about, but now that you've said it. Just, <laughs> I, like, I, like just, I like just floating things out as they drift through my no, mind. It's a, it's a great point. I don't know. I was in Birmingham um a month or so ago doing a kind of recce of cycling infrastructure and related point i shadowed a, a delivery rider um with their permission i must add i didn't just follow them <laughs> around. Um, and uh and and you know asked them to take me on their on their on their jobs just because i you know i think often when you're looking at cycling infrastructure you're you're looking from a an entrenched possibly middle class point of view of office-based work so People live in the suburbs, they need to get in the city centre, so we need to build a kind of cycle super highway. And actually, when you're thrown a job that's a mile or a mile and a half away, these are absolutely the jobs that that we should be getting done by bike, but also they're the kind of journeys that people would be making by bike in reverse, you know, people mm. leaving their home to pop to the shops or pop to a restaurant Good or point. pop to the local kind of community hub. You know, it's quite shocking, actually, just how poor some of the infrastructure away from the super highways was so i thought that was an interesting way and i think we can get um we can get a lot of good feedback and and rich data and engage with those um with those people as well i think that's definitely got to play a part in it positively i think it is really good that we're going back to using bikes for 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 short journeys for, for for work and it's important stuff and it's scalable as well you know a lot of the new delivery companies are offering stuff in less than 10 minutes now and they're promoting the fact that you it can only be made possible by using an e-bike in short urban areas so i think it's really positive i would say that the real difficult thing that we need to um i think stand up for as well as a cycling advocacy community is the conditions for these people because um it's really really mm. bad absolutely yeah, yeah i know i saw someone um knocked off actually in um in Tower Hamlets the other day, uh, one of the Just Eat riders on a bike, uh, and yeah, there were a bunch of people helping him. But yeah, it's, it's quite, it can be quite risky out there. But yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that your point on the where we build the cycle infrastructure and who we build it for. This is one of the things that Ruth and I chatted about briefly in the interview, and um, we talked about Tower Hamlets Livable Streets program, which has now been paused because there was some, you know, bit of backlash around it. But it is really important to have those kind of network routes, not just for people like delivery riders, but for women who tend to do more kind of neighbourhood trips and trip chaining. So point to point, childcare, healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, shopping, you know, all of these jobs tend to fall on women more than men. Um, so yeah, much really important to have these kind of neighbourhood routes, these low traffic areas to, um, to encourage more diverse people to cycle for more different journeys it's a real sad indictment in an area like tower hamlets which uh, the majority of people don't have access to cars that the, the elected mayor comes out and says we are pausing the livable streets program that's a really sad phrase to have in an area that that, that so desperately needs more options for for people to cycle uh, and walk you know cheaply effectively safely i know yeah 
yeah they've done some really good stuff um but yeah yeah it's a real shame all right well listen um uh, just just to round things up because I did mention it at the beginning. I have um, while you've been talking, I have to I have resorted to Google, and I found the Crisp Street mural, <laughs> an, eight, a, an eighty foot Chihuahua. You all know it, Ray. Yeah. You know what I was talking about, didn't you? No? As soon, yeah, I don't know why they're so ignorant of it, Adam and Laura. They really should know. I mean, I was it. there. I'm just wondering if I saw it and just didn't see well, it. Well, it's, it's, it's on the very south end of Crisp Street, where it intersects with that big main road that runs east-west. I don't know the name of it. Uh, it, was made in, it was done in um, the side of Kilmore House Estate in 2014, a bit of street art by street artists Irony and Bow. But apparently, the first article I hit upon, uh, it's not without its controversy. It is um, ah. deemed, deemed by many to be a sign of obscene gentrification. And un, oh, un, un, there it is. There you it's go. But on the other hand... isn't it? <laughs> on the other hand, it's an eighty-foot chihuahua, and it's kind of quite cool. So oh I don't, I don't mind it. But there we go. With a little pink collar. Yeah. Um, listen, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you, Laura, for doing a wonderful report. Um, thank you very much, Ray, for uh, what is obviously an excellent scheme and your support uh, for that. And um, all power to your elbow. I hope it goes from strength to strength, and you're able to kind of unfurl it across the city and then the country and affect that change. 23rd of November it closes, right? The fundraiser. Okay, so that will go in the show notes as well, hopefully as an 80-foot chihuahua, if we can uh, get ourselves uh, sorted with that. Uh, in the meantime, though, thank you ever so much. Um, you've been listening to Streets Ahead. This episode was edited by Claire Mansell. You can let us know what you think on Twitter. We're at, uh, at podstreetsahead. And if you can stop what you're doing ever so briefly, please do rate us and review us. It makes a big difference to the algorithm, but more importantly to that, our fragile egos. And it helps um, more and more people find the podcast. So with that in mind, please share it uh, with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And we'll catch you next time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. 
Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.